This is a Research in Practice podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with children and families, young people and adults. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Jessica Wilde and I'm the Domestic Abuse Lead for Research and Practice and today we'll be talking about the recently completed Domestic Abuse and Child Protection Change Project. It was a national project with the main aim of exploring and supporting new conceptual and practice developments in responses to families where domestic abuse is an issue of concern for child protection. It drew upon the latest international research, emerging practice approaches, as well as expertise from people with lived experience to open up possibilities for understanding why domestic abuse is such a key driver of demand in child protection, as well as to understand how it might be better responded to by approaches that are more humane and socially transformative. Another key aim was to collaboratively produce outputs and learning resources which could support policymakers and practitioners in their work supporting families where there is a person causing harm in order to enable better outcomes for children and whole families. This podcast series represents one of those learning resources which we hope will go some way to embedding some of the valuable contributions from leaders and practitioners engaged in the project so that their insights might be mobilised or applied elsewhere in the country. The project was led by Professor Kate Morris of Sheffield University, Professor Bridge Featherstone of Huddersfield Uni and Sharon Inglis, a restorative practice consultant. And there were representatives from about 30 local authorities and voluntary sector partners who took part in the project. One of the local authorities represented on the project was Doncaster and Alicia Lee is here to talk about her experience on the project. So Alicia, can I ask you to introduce yourself, please? Yes, absolutely. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Alicia Lee and I manage a small specialist team for Doncaster Children's Services Trust that work whole family in response to domestic abuse. Thank you. Um, so I'll just start off by the uh, with the first question. So um, focusing on your work locally, can you um, give me a sense of how you and your team currently approach child protection work with families where there is a perpetrator of domestic abuse? Yes, absolutely. So um, it's been a bit of a journey. So we were innovation funded back in 2015 and the aim of that money was to look at how we could work differently with domestic abuse. So taking into consideration that um, the things that we do don't seem to be effective in the long term. Um, Working whole family was um, really innovative and incredibly challenging, quite nerve wracking at times. And um, I guess just thinking back to the way that you've kind of introduced that podcast, a more humane way of working, um, that's really just struck me in terms of what we do here in Doncaster. Um, So the the service was set up to work whole family. So we work with the victim, the person causing the harm and the children. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we work with everybody all in in one room. We don't get everybody in a room and sit there and talk about the domestic abuse because that's not um, obviously that's not always safe. But we use research to inform the work that we do as a service. So we use the Michael Johnson research around the typologies of abuse and we apply that research to practice. And I guess what that means is that we recognize that not all domestic abuse is the same and even within those typologies there's still difference for anybody that isn't aware that what michael johnson says is that basically that not all domestic abuse is the same and that's born out of a differentiation in um data and statistics 
So um, what he refers to as intimate terrorism is the traditional kind of coercive control, power and control dynamic that we're all very familiar with. Violent resistance is somebody resisting the intimate terrorism, so fighting back, if you like. And then situational couple violence is something very different, um, like violence between a couple as a result of a situation that they may find themselves in. And those situations can be multiple and complex. But the thing about situational violence is that it doesn't control. It doesn't contain the power and control back dynamic. So it isn't about the power and control, um, and the coercive control element isn't present. So it need kind of needs a different response. So as a service, we took that research and we really wanted to understand what was happening within these families and then respond according to the typology, so that we in, the interventions were tailored to suit what was happening um, with, within those families. So um, something like, for example. The Freedom Programme um, would would absolutely be recommended where we were identifying intimate terrorism and high levels of coercive control. That would be a really suitable intervention for a victim. They would be learning about the power and control dynamic, being able to recognise that potentially in future relationships. But if you've got situational violence, then um, the Freedom Programme doesn't fit. Um, so it, it was recognising those things and then responding according to um, the interventions being tailored to the typology. And that's really I guess that's really been the success um, of our service, of how we've how we've worked as a service. Um, we work solely with families at child protection or child in need. We work high risk domestic abuse complex need in terms of either substance misuse, mental health, learning disabilities, and um, obviously where there's impact on children. Um, and we've just developed, very, very new and exciting, we've just developed a toolkit. Um, so we wanted to, obviously we've been working as a service now for six years. Um, the outcomes are really successful. We've been evaluated twice. Evaluations are available if anybody wanted to look them up. They're published on the government website. So what we wanted to do was take that research and then answer the so what question. So we've got this piece of research, we're applying it to practice, so what? So what do we want to do with that? Um, so we're just in the process of developing a toolkit that says, if we are identifying domestic abuse in a family, this is the process that we would go through. And then once we understand the typology, this is what we do if we were thinking that it was intimate uh, terrorism. This is what we would do if we were thinking it was situational couple violence. And if we still weren't sure, and sometimes we aren't, it's not clear cut and it's a framework for understanding. We aren't using the typologies as a diagnostic tool. It's not like that. It's just a way of being able to think about the domestic abuse a little bit more, a little more deeply and get a better understanding of what's happening in that relationship because not all domestic abuse is the same. Um, and then if we don't, still don't understand what the typology of abuse is, then what things would be safe to consider and, and do? So we've kind of got a, a toolkit now that looks at all possible, all possibilities and then looks at interventions then that would be suitable with that within those families. So we're just hopefully just about to launch that anytime soon. That's that's brilliant. That's really exciting. Could you tell me a bit more about how um, the change project has potentially informed um, or expanded your thinking um, in the context of the work you've been doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that 
Um, well, a couple of the things that the Change Project's done most strongly for me is obviously setting out on this journey to work differently with domestic abuse has been, it's been really nerve wracking because, you know, we were doing something really innovative and we weren't sure whether it would work or not in the beginning. And, and it has given me a few sleepless nights, I have to be honest. So, but having these conversations within the Change Project um, and seeing the struggles that the the local authorities that have contributed all share and the conversations the common themes across the conversations that we've been having uh, I think really cemented and solidified for me the need to do this differently the the need to think about how we work differently with families um, and, it, and it was just really strengthened so that was something that was huge and then um in terms of some of the research, I think it's helped us to think a lot about intersectionality, which was something that I was kind of vaguely familiar with as a concept, but hadn't really thought about how we might apply that to practice more um, directly. So it's helped us to think about that. And that's something that we're considering at the moment. Um, and also the link between when we started to consider working differently with um, domestic abuse, what we noticed in Doncaster was that very often the person causing the harm, um, th they didn't get worked with for one reason or another. Um, and we wanted to find ways to engage better, to, for us to find ways to engage better with people that harm. And part of that was thinking about um, shame and graciously accepting that some people that use abusive behaviours feel really bad about that um, and they may not present in that way that might not be really obvious but if we graciously graciously accept that they do then um, and recognise that shame may pe play a key role in that how do we then engage with those people and I realise that that is not everybody some people that use harmful behaviours do that and they don't feel any empathy and they don't feel any shame. Um, but I don't think that's the majority of people. I think po possibly the majority of people do feel some level uh, of shame. Um, and something that really struck me while we were in the change project was thinking about how shame links to poverty um, and then how poverty then links to how shame and poverty link to violence, aggression um, and those kind of things. So it's really helped us to think about that in a little bit more detail as well. And then think about how, how better we work and approach and consider working with people that cause harm. It strengthened our resolve. It really made me, we were already quite enthusiastic and committed and given the evaluations we had the belief in the model and the way of working but it, it really strengthened our, our resolve and gave me confidence that you know this way of working is effective and that families appreciate it yeah absolutely yeah um, and I think that's that was probably one of the most powerful things being in the group, wasn't it? That we all kind of shared a common um, experience of the challenges um, and the desire to want to do things differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just, uh, something that you said at the beginning, um, you said when you came into the change front and you could hear kind of these, the themes coming through in the, in the conversations, which reasserted your kind of resolve or understanding that things need to be done differently um, and I wonder if you could kind of just pick a few of those out as to why we need to be doing things differently. 
Yeah, absolutely. So something that came across very strongly in the conversations um, within the change project was the re-victimisation of victims, placing a disproportionate amount of responsibility on the victim to protect the children um, from harm and how that just re-victimises victims. And then also not understanding, I think, the link between what some what people perceive to be behaviour from victims that doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, so when we might write things in um, written agreements or that says that mum will not open the door to the person causing the harm, well, if we understand trauma and we understand trauma bonding, then we recognise that that is setting somebody up to fail because in that moment when that person causing the harm, who they may well be absolutely terrified of, turns up at the door, their previous successful safety planning would tell them to open the door, calm the situation, and yet our expectation of them as services is to do something completely different. And when then when they do that and they open the door, that doesn't make any sense to us. And we might label that as something like disguised compliance, or they, we might say that they're not being truthful and not understanding the role that trauma plays in, in that. And also um, that victims know they're the person that harms them. They know they live with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They understand what it is that triggers their behaviours and potentially how to calm situations. So how do we work absolutely without any shadow of a doubt child safety and child protection is paramount it absolutely has to be but how do we work better because the problem is that if we do things like this and we say things like um, if there's another domestic abuse incident we will consider legal proceedings if we say something like that then what is the probability that a victim will have confidence that when there is another domestic abuse incident they'll be able to tell us about it and all that does is drive the domestic abuse underground. Their families aren't able to be honest and we aren't then managing the risk. Um, that risk is then hidden and that isn't helpful. So this whole family approach was, I guess, geared around being more helpful to families. How can we encourage them and help them to have open conversations with us so they can say, you know, that we, there was another incident. This is what happened. And then we can unpick that and think about where the support needs to be in place to ensure that that doesn't happen again. And as we all know, when we're trying to do something different, we stumble and we make mistakes. And it isn't easy, is it, to change behaviour? Um, and I, I guess I always say this, it always makes me giggle. Tell me that I'd, I can't have a glass of wine on a Friday night at the end of a long working week and I want two glasses of wine. That's normal, isn't it? It's normal human behaviour. So... So, yeah, let, let's support these families to through the change, as opposed to making it difficult for them to be honest with us about how they're struggling with that change. Um, I guess that was and those conversations were really strong in the room. They were they were echoed across all the local authorities and everybody was feeling frustrated that they didn't have a solution for these really difficult um, elements. So, yeah, that was that was a, a really strong theme. Thank you, Alicia. You've um, yeah captured perfectly. Um, you know the reasons for doing things differently, and also the challenges. And you know, as you know, the things that you've just described uh, were echoed in the stories that we heard from, you know, from mothers who 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 were part of the project. Again, you've alluded to some of these, but if you could just tell me about how um, 
some of the what you anticipate some of the challenges um, or opportunities you envisage for Doncaster or your service as you go forward. I know you've already mentioned the um, the toolkit, which is you know a fantastic development. Um, but yeah, maybe some of the other things um, that you envisage. Okay, so um, we're we are. A, I'm only a small service within a, a children's social care um, environment. So I think one of the biggest challenges was being able to di disseminate that learning and um, help people to think about working differently, which is kind of what the toolkit is now aimed to do. So we've got something concrete that we can say to people. Okay, we say to social workers so. Um, you have domestic abuse in in the family that you're working with. This is how this is this will be helpful. This is how we can think about working with the domestic abuse. So that was one of the biggest challenges. I sit on the sexual and domestic abuse um, theme group, so we have a really good rate working relationship with the community safety partnership, and a lot of the thinking behind. Um, not re-victimising victims, understanding having a trauma-informed approach, working with people that harm informs the strategy. So we're having our domestic abuse strategy. So we're having that those conversations across the partnership and really, I guess, getting to grips. And I think it has to start really from that that level, from you know, it's strategy informing then policy and procedure. So um, in terms of some of the, the wider challenges, Funding's always a challenge. So we're, we're constantly year on year funded. So thinking about how we can, and I think the domestic abuse bill will help with thinking about funding and how we better fund domestic abuse. Um, and I think certainly from the lockdown, um, it, definitely in Doncaster, the incident, the incidents of domestic abuse have increased significantly during lockdown. So it's more prevalent um, it's there's a brighter spotlight shining on domestic abuse at the moment, which I think will be helpful in terms of longer term funding. Um, but we're going to think about whether there is a way to rather than constantly be doing 12 month contracts that need renewing, whether we can think about sustainability over two or perhaps three years, because I think that's I think that's really important. I think it's quite short sighted sometimes, isn't it, to throw a whole lot of money at something um, innovative and change focused, only give it 12 months. And then very often these things can be pulled. And then five years later, it's kind of coming around again. Um, so how do we better, how do we better fund those things so they can be better embedded and then become part of mainstream practice um, in the long term? How do we better do that? And I think part of that is about having um, longer funding periods to to begin with so that, that we can really embed new approaches and new changes. So funding is always a challenge. Um, so we're planning now for the long term. We're trying to put things in place now that think about those things. And then, like I've already said, the toolkit development um, and the rollout to key members. I mean, at the moment, that's just going to stay within the within Doncaster Children's Services Trust. But the intention is that we will roll that out wi wider once we've got the toolkit and we've trialled it, people are using it, familiar with it, we're getting a little bit of feedback about it. Um, and I'm just developed, well, I've, I've developed the training actually. Um, so we just need to roll the training out. And the training is really, really important because it looks at some of these really sticky issues around re-victimisation of victims, how we work better with people that cause harm. It unpicks all of that stuff. 
Um, and particularly where there's high levels of coercive control, I think people are very um, nervous about not escalating risk. Um, and we've got, and I, and I accept that absolutely. But we've got six years now of reflections and learnings that are going to be fed into that toolkit about how we manage those risks and how we've got case studies and you know really quite risky family situations where the people that cause the harm have been a real worry to us um, and how we've managed to work those cases and still work with the person that's causing uh, that's causing the harm um, so a lot of that that insight and that learning and has now gone into the toolkit but it's the toolkit training but it's really important that professionals access the training I don't want the toolkit rolled out without the training attached to it and yeah I think that the challenges that you described are um, unfortunately replicated um, across the country you know the the problems with short-term funding is there anything else uh, you'd like to mention before before we close I don't think there is, except just except to say that the having that opportunity within the change programme to come together with other local authorities that are all struggling with the same thing, to have these conversations about. I remember in that very first session when I think the very first question that we had via Mentimeter was, when you think about domestic abuse, what are the first five things that come into your head? And as that word cloud started to appear on that screen, I would just remember sitting there and thinking, thank you. Like everybody thinks this, we're all thinking the same. Um, and there was such energy in wanting to drive that, recognising that what we do currently um, doesn't help and wanting to wanting to do such drive and energy for wanting to do that different and I just think that's been a huge motivator I I, I honestly cannot thank you guys enough it's just been an absolute privilege and an honor to be involved with it and and I guess from a slightly selfish perspective it's really um confirmed to us um and reignited my enthusiasm and passion for this for this I mean I already am really enthusiastic but kind of just given me that real confidence that you know we need to we do need to be doing this differently and whether Doncaster's got it right or um it's some other way of working but just getting to grips with what what the key issues were the things that we've talked about and it might not be that um the whole family approach is the way for everybody but I think working whole family just in terms of breaking those those patterns that exist within relationships if we work whole family we really um work to reduce those patterns so i guess just to summarize domestic abuse is cyclical within the relationship itself isn't it so we have the incident what we refer to in the sector as the honeymoon period the tension building phase and then another incident if we work with the whole family hopefully we break that cycle and if that relationship separates and then the victim goes on to a new relationship that may also be abusive, the person causing the harm will form another relationship. And it is very likely, if nobody's done any work with them, that that relationship will also be abusive. And then that becomes the revolving door back into services, doesn't it? So it's really important, again, that whole family, we work with the person causing the harm, the victim, to prevent them when they start new relationships coming back into services. And then the work with the children 
around healthy relationships, trauma recovery work, supports then the intergenerational transmission of abuse, that cycle not happening. And ultimately, that's what we wanted to do in Doncaster. We wanted to break those three cycles if we could. And I think the only effective way of doing that is making sure that we work with everybody. It just makes common sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you, Alicia. You've, again, just perfectly encapsulated um, what you do. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. It's been fantastic to speak to you. And um, yeah, I'm absolutely certain that, you know, what you've discussed will be you know, your insights will be so useful for other people across the country who are maybe thinking of doing things differently. Um, and Doncaster provides a, you know, a fantastic example of what that might look like. So yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this Research in Practice podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Why not share with your colleagues and let us know your thoughts on Twitter? Tweet us at ResearchIP.